New Guinea is a big part of that. So today we're kicking off our, our new series and uh, it's all about the prayers of Nehemiah. I really felt this impressed on my heart at the beginning of the year as I was planning out the year. And I just want to say something that might sound like a big statement, but I want to say I think this series can be really impacting in your life. I think this series can change your life. As I've started to read through it, really get uh, the keys, the principles from Nehemiah into my life. I've been amazed personally at already the difference it's making. And I just think if you're in a spot today where you need some things rebuilt, restored in your life, then, then really listen in. And I do want to ask with that question here today, what does your life look like is the question I want to ask. See, Nehemiah was a guy, and, and many of you will be aware of the story of Nehemiah. What did he do? He came in and he restored the walls of Jerusalem. He restored the city of Jerusalem. And I want to ask, what does your life look like or what does your city look like, if you want to put it like that? Have you got broken walls in your own life? If you took stock of your life, what, what would it look like? I've got a picture here on the screen, a couple of pictures, and this is actually Jerusalem that you're looking at here. Now, when you look at Jerusalem, you can see walls that are around the city. Uh, that uh, place there with the, the Golden Dome, that, that in Nehemiah's time, that was the location, the dwelling place of the temple. So that is where God actually dwelt in Nehemiah's time. And you can see the wall there right next to the wall of of uh, the temple, the walls of Jerusalem around the city. Now, in Nehemiah's time, God dwelt in that place. That was the location where God dwelt. In our day, God dwells in us. So you can really quickly see the correlation here. This passage, this book of Nehemiah is really about us. It's about our life. And when I say, what does your life look like? I say, uh, where's God at in your life? What's your city look like? If the walls of the city, I mean, look at those walls, they've been rebuilt now. But, but the walls of that city were down, it would allow anything in and anything out. There were no defenses. If, if the walls of a city, if a city was in disrepair, then physically, then that city would be in disrepair spiritually. And it's the same with us in our own life. What does your city look like? What does your life look like? What are the walls in your life currently look like? What would you say if we asked you that question right now? And hold that thought. We're going to push into that. Because again, we're looking at the prayers of Nehemiah. And what we find is that Nehemiah, in pivotal moments, turned to prayer to be sure that the walls of Jerusalem were restored. And I think we can find out some very important prayers that help us restore the walls in our own life. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. He saw the things as they shouldn't be. He saw things destroyed and he restored them. And I just got to say to people today, if you can see things in your life that are not right, if you can see things that have fallen down, if you can see things that are in a shambles, well, Nehemiah's message to you would be, you can restore those walls. Those things can come back to the way that they're supposed to be. And this has implications for us personally, of course. It's got implications for us as a church. And in many ways, this whole message of restoration, of restoring things to the way they're supposed to be, is what the church is all about. We've got a great vision as a church. It's to be a unique church, provoking lasting change by sharing compassion and hope. What we saw 
this morning with Pastor Kiab. This is a little bit, to me, about what it looks like to restore the walls. Like in, in that city of Port Moresby, we're literally going in, and I've seen it with my own eyes. We're seeing life return to places where there was death and there was confusion. And that's the hope and the dream of our church. Beyond anything else, we want to see this world restored. We want to see his kingdom come. I want this church to be a bastion of hope. I want to see strong defenses built into this city, built into this church. In six weeks, we talk about our Vision Builders campaign. That will be all about these sorts of issues, seeing the church prevail, seeing the church move on. I want to see this church plant churches. I want to see this church reach generations, not just this generation, but generations to come. I want to see the ruins restored that we see in this world. I want to see the the loss reached. I want to see baptisms happen. I want to see compassion in this world, and I want to see His kingdom come, and that is going to be achieved through a strong church, through a church that says we're rebuilding the walls of this city. So this series, I want you to have sort of sort of two eyes going. I want you to have one eye on what God can do personally in your own life, but have another eye on what God wants to do in this church, what God wants to do through the world. So let's read from Nehemiah. If you haven't ever read this book before, I know we have a church reading plan, but it'd be worth just reading through uh, Nehemiah and really getting some courage and conviction and vision into your life. I'm only going to read five verses today. Nehemiah chapter 1 uh, says this, 1 verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Just note there, he says, I questioned them. We're, we're going to just pull out some really interesting parts straight away. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he says some words which jumped out at me as I read them this last couple of weeks. He says, then I said and we're going to talk about that as well in a moment the first thing and the most important thing well an important thing that jumps out to me in that passage is that Nehemiah wanted to know where things are at I just want to make this point and it's so important in our own life Nehemiah stops his brother he pulls him aside I don't know how long it's been since he's seen his brother but he says to his brother tell me where things are at in the city where where are things at And what I love here is that Nehemiah is immediately willing to ask some tough questions. And in our own life, I think we've got to be those sort of people. We've got to be willing to ask tough questions about our own life. We live a fast-paced life. And I tell you, it is so easy to move on week to week, month to month, year to year, without taking stock of exactly where things are at in your own life. I recently went away. I guess I'm trying to live what I preach and I went away and I was away for a whole day and I did exactly this I just sat down and I asked tough questions about different areas of my life where am I at relationally where's me and God at at the moment where am I at in my finances where am I at in my physical health 
but just stopping and asking some tough questions of yourself and being ready for the answer that might come back. What do I look like? What are my defenses like? What's my city look like at the moment? So what I'm going to do is because we, I guess, move on fast, I'm going to give you guys the chance to do that right now. Now, you should have received as you came in just a little white piece of paper and on it it had um, just a whole list of different areas. They're up on the screen if you didn't get one. And what I want you to do is take a minute and just have a quick think, where do I land? If you've got the piece of paper, you can cross it. And you maybe you say, I'm a 5 out of 10 or I'm an 8 out of 10. Or if the person sitting next to you is sitting too close, rate it 10 out of 10. And then you know in your head where you're really at, but you work it out. But have a look at some of those areas and just think, where am I at? Where's my city at? Where's my defenses at? Am I strong in those things at the moment? And then we're going to continue on. We'll give you some thinking music while that happens as well. Everyone enjoying the jazz music that we've got going on here? I feel like I should be sitting at a piano bar or something like that. Smoking a cigar, maybe. Maybe not. So the questions here, spiritually, my health, spouse, children, financially, where am I at? I mean, honestly, it's almost crazy. I give you one minute and you can whip down the page. Really, you should probably sit down for a couple of hours and really ask some tough questions spiritually about where you're at and and, and all of these different questions. But I wonder if you're a little bit like Nehemiah, even this morning as you take stock, maybe you knew already it wasn't that you needed that exercise, but plotting a, a mark on a piece of paper just tells you something that you actually already knew, that things possibly aren't good, maybe in some, maybe in all of those areas. And I wonder what your reaction is, because I find something very interesting out about Nehemiah and what he did. What did he do? He sat down and he wept about the state of his life and the state of affairs for him. I wonder if you've ever been in that place, maybe right now where the news isn't good. Of course, sometimes it's just a nagging truth that comes up on us. Sometimes it's a sudden crashing revelation of something that happens. Maybe for you as a parent, you come home one day and your discovery is that your child is doing drugs and that what you thought was good was totally not good, that things were totally the other way. Maybe for you though this morning, it is that nagging sense, I know things aren't good, but I just haven't spoken it out. I just haven't said that thing isn't good in my life. Maybe for you, it's an understanding all of a sudden that your marriage is not in a good place or any one of these things, that financially things are bad. And instead of running away from them, Nehemiah asks the tough questions. And what he does, and I like this, is that he allows some emotion to well up in his heart because sometimes the truth hurts. This is no small matter for Nehemiah and it cut him to his core. Again, all sorts of people here today with all sorts of different situations. And you need to know that it's okay sometimes to just weep, to just cry about the situations that you're in, to just express the tough places that you're in. Sometimes maybe the best thing that we can do is to weep. Nehemiah cries and it's okay for us to cry, to express your outrage, to express your emotion, to lament. As I read this, the, the scripture, I see this pattern all through the scripture. 
people when they're in tough situations, calling out to God, mourning, grieving over the place that they're in. And I would say this to us, God doesn't simply want us to be tough, to just move on, to just say, well, that's not who I am and I'll just forge on no matter what. Maybe the worst thing you can do sometimes is suppress it. But God might want you to express the place that you're in. So you and God are not right at the moment and you, and you know that and you look at that on that sheet. I'd say express it to God. Weep over it. Mourn over it. Maybe you and your husband or you and your spouse are not in the place where you want to be. Well, express it. Cry out to God. Your marriage, not in the right place. Your children are not in the right place. Your finances are not in the right place. What are those things that you're weeping over in your own life? And I'll just say quickly this to the men that are here, and it's a generalization. It's not the whole truth. But men generally aren't good at this. Men generally want to move on. Men generally want to sort of push down the emotion that we feel sometimes inside of us. Sometimes it's our emotions that lead us to that place. Sometimes we can't quite put our finger on what is going on. And men generally want to push this one down. Not all men, some men. And I'd say don't push these things down. Allow that thing, that passion to raise up in you because it's the things that you're passionate about are the things that you're going to do something about. The things that are most important to us are the things that we're going to be weeping over. You see, I think there's something that comes out of this as Nehemiah expressed his sadness and his frustration. We see a great vision for his life birthed. But sometimes we get stuck in that place. And we just weep and we just express the emotion and we don't go to the place that God is calling us to go. I'm not saying it's a good thing necessarily that you're in a hard place. I'm not saying it's a great thing that Nehemiah was weeping at that point but we see something come out of that that lasts for generations and generations and these burdens that God places on your heart that are emotion filled for you that matter to you they may be the very thing that God wants to take and birth a vision in your own life about but see sometimes we think that emotion that place that I'm in that's bad my, my one purpose in life is just to move on from that place and I just pause a little bit at the beginning here before we even talk about prayer so that sometimes it's okay to express that emotion but what do we see Nehemiah do that I think is so important so pivotal in moving on we see him do a few things see he moves on to the right place he could have made a tragic mistake here he could have done what so many of us do in these places of distress and emotion and sadness what do we do in those places? Where do we go? Sometimes, let's be honest, we go to idols. I mean, we, we just have modern idols, but we go to idols. Maybe it's food for you, or it's alcohol, or it's work for you. I'm just going to pour myself into work. Maybe it's uh, sexual addictions. Maybe you just withdraw and become a loner. I don't know what it is for you, but sometimes this is what we do in our distress we turn to the thing that's comforted us in the past. I just want to point that out. Sometimes we get angry at God in these times. We wave our fists at God and say, God, why did you do this to me? Why is things like they are? Why is my child going through this situation? I'm angry at you, God, and I've seen too many people in that 
that place, run away. Run away from God. Run away from community. Run away from the connection with God and each other in a way to say, God, I'm angry at you. That's going to be my response to the incredible emotion that I feel. Things aren't right in my life and I'm walking away from you. And here's the other thing that I think we do, and any one of these can be as dangerous as the other one, is we come up with our own plans. Well, this is what I'll do. Maybe you're a task-orientated person, and before you even consult God, you're in your distress, you have a five-point plan. Right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to attack it like this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to plan that. I'm doing this. Six things are going to happen. I'm sorting my child out like that. And I just want to pause for a second here today and say, I don't see Nehemiah doing that. I see in the great distress that he has, and it's all right that he's got his distress. But Nehemiah does something that should sit in our hearts more than anything else here this morning. Nehemiah turns his distress, he turns his burden to God. This has got to sit in our hearts here this morning, that Nehemiah turned his burden to God. With all that he's heard, with all the stuff that's going on in his head, he turns to God. Verse 4 says, For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God in heaven. This is no small thing, but Nehemiah wasn't going to run away. He wasn't angry with God. He wasn't hitting the booze. He wasn't going to the women. He didn't rush out and plan a solution. But he went to God in prayer. You know, the cool thing about the Nehemiah story, again, if you know it, you know that he does it. He rebuilds the ruins. It's a great story. We love talking about this Bible story because Nehemiah makes it. We all love flipping to chapter 4 and chapter 5 where we start to see things come together and the walls are being rebuilt. And we say, look at the victory he had in chapter 4. But I just wonder for a minute if Nehemiah didn't have his greatest victory in verse 4. In chapter 1, verse 4, was where Nehemiah won the battle. In chapter 1, verse 4, might have just been the place where Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of his life. See, so often we skip chapter 1, verse 4, and we run straight on to rebuilding, or we run straight on to running away, or we run straight on to the idol that's given us comfort in the past. And Nehemiah has a defining moment in his life, and he says, I'm going to turn to God. Verse 4 again, it says, For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And if your Bible's like mine, it just has this little phrase. It says, Then I said. And I couldn't help but notice that then I said wasn't before he prayed. He didn't say, I said to God, this is my plan, and then I prayed about it. It says, I prayed, I mourned, I fasted, and then I said see a vision from God was birthed in Nehemiah's heart as he went to God as he said God it's not going to be my plan it's going to be your plan that matters most in my own life then I said and he talks and next week we're going to look at what Nehemiah says it's an incredible prayer and we'll start to find out how Nehemiah gets this vision and articulates it for his life but it comes out of prayer first See, God always does things differently, and I think Nehemiah knew this. Look at the walls of Jericho, maybe one of the greatest examples of this, of going to God with, where we can make the mistake of going to God with our plans, what we think should happen, 
and yet the exact opposite can happen. We know for Joshua going to Jericho, this is his first big battle. He's the commander. He's crossed the River Jordan. Things are good. He's got an army that have been waiting for 40 years to fight. They're all so keen to fight. There's some rebuilding to be done. There's some winning to be done. There's some restoring to be done. And Joshua approaches the city of Jericho and God says to him, what I want you to do, Joshua, is walk around the city silently once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times silently. Now, can you imagine Joshua taking that plan to the army commanders? I mean, what were they thinking? They're like, catapults, we haven't used them in 40 years, or they're the latest models. You know, they're thinking siege tanks, they're thinking swords, axes, we're going at it. There's only one way to bring those walls down. And God says, Joshua, I'm just making something really clear here. It's my plans, it's not your plans. You know, this is what's so important. We have to be people that are listening to God because God's plans are always going to be better, always going to be better than our plans and how we attack the situation. So many of us want to restore things in our life. If we look down that list, if we we're real honest, every single one of us here would have things that we want to sort out. But we're going to the wrong things. We've got our wrong ideas. We've got our catapults out and our swords out. And God's saying, I just want you to listen to my plan. There's a saying here, an old saying I read this week. It says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Sounds a little bit insulting, doesn't it? You know, while we're planning, God is chuckling at our plans. Now, I don't think in a vindictive way. I think God understands he, he tasks us and he births us with talents and skill. And sometimes he just works with us in our grace, even as we act out those things. That's the grace of God. But I think sometimes God is amazed at our lack of vision, at our lack of expansiveness in our plans. And sometimes he lets those plans fail because he says, I've got a better way. When you're ready, come back and ask me about what my way is. Out of prayer and fasting for Nehemiah comes clarity for the road ahead. What is going on in your life here today? Don't rush in is the message today. Don't just fire off and and come up with an idea of your own, but talk to God about it. Let God to be, begin to articulate His plan. You see, until His sovereign will becomes your sanctified wish, your prayer life will be unplugged from God's power. Because it's all about you. What we want isn't the goal. What we want is God's will. And by the way, God's will then becomes the goal, which then becomes what we want. But it's always about, God, what are you saying to me? What's your plan here? How do I save my child? Or how do you save my child? How do you save this situation that I'm in? And I have to make this point loud and clear for our church, Catalyst Church. It's the same message we're saying in our eldership board, in our staff, in our executive, when we meet and we plan. God, what are you saying to us? God, we are desperate for you to speak to us. Psalm 127 Verse 1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its labor is built in vain. God is not letting us miss this point that it's got to be about Him. And this sort of scripture should, should sit deep within us. It somewhat scares me. You know, we're walking again into this campaign of restoration and I am more and more convinced, more convinced than ever that these things have to be birthed in prayer. I'm 
meeting with pastors time and time again. And they say two things. When you start to prioritize reaching the lost, which is our vision for this city, everything we're doing in the world and here is about reaching into this city. When you start prioritizing that, and when you add prioritizing what people do with their finances and their money, when you start messing with those two things, you'll be attacked more than anything else. And I think it's true. This year, it's been an interesting year. And I talk to pastors all around Australia. They say exactly the same thing. You know, this church has to be a church that prays, that loves to pray, that lifts up to God the vision and the passion and the things that he's got for this church. When do we pray? We pray at 8.15 every Sunday morning. If you come to the first service at 8.15 this morning, there was about five people here. We pray at 8.15. We can do that. We can come together. We can join together in prayer. For 15 minutes before the service, more people came in as the prayer meeting went on. We pray at 8, that 10.25, just five minutes before the second. We're praying now at 6.30 if you're really brave on a Sunday morning in the Willow Room. And that allows our music team and our creative teams to come if they wish. But you can pray as an individual. You can pray in connect groups. But we've got to begin to say, God, unless you build this house... God, unless you're doing the work here in Ipswich, it's all for nothing. I don't want my money to go to nothing. I don't want my effort and my time to go to nothing. God, you've got to build this house. You've got to give us vision. You've got to give us the plans for the future. So we've got to pray. Now, how did Nehemiah pray? So really finish, I've only got two basically quick points. How did he pray? I, I just see two things. First one I see is that Nehemiah prayed hard. So not only do we have to pray, but, but Nehemiah prayed hard when he prayed. As we receive a vision, as we're saying to God, God, you've got to speak into my life. You've got to give me a vision, a hope for the future. Sometimes that won't just come in a 30-second prayer. That wasn't the way it was for Nehemiah. It says he prayed for some days. For some days he prayed and faster. The New King James Version says he prayed for many days. When I look that up, there's all sorts of different interpretations. But what we know is it wasn't 10 minutes, wasn't half an hour. There was an extended season of prayer. You know, sometimes these things don't come quick as we're wanting to push through, as we want to see things fixed up in our life. We've got to pray hard at what's going on. What if Nehemiah had stopped on day one? said, oh, I'm sick of this prayer. It's not a big deal. Would God have given him the vision? I don't know. We've got to pray hard sometimes and persevere in that. Sometimes we've got to grab a hold until, and not let go until God places something in our heart, a way to move forward. Luke 18 verse 2 says this, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. You know, this is a, a message from Jesus here about prayer. And by the way, we have a good heavenly father that wants to hear our prayers. But Jesus is making a point that sometimes prayer means working hard at it. It means hard prayers. This is what hard praying looks like, knocking until your knuckles are raw. Just keep on knocking. 
crying out until your voice is lost, pleading until your tears run dry. But the message of the parable is if you keep praying like this, if you keep pushing through, God will answer you. That God loves a persevering spirit in the way we pray. I love the phrase there, she is wearing me out, the, fr- the judge says. Nehemiah says, for some days I prayed. I, I love the way he says that. To me, it puts in my head just a picture of, how, how long did you pray for, Nehemiah? I don't even know. Some days. For some days I prayed. Well, I don't know, was it five? Was it eight? Was it 12? Was it three? I lost track of time. I just prayed. I just kept going. I just kept pushing in. What is the thing that is going on in your life that you need to push in to prayer about? The widow here, she was in it for the long haul. We've got a a value in our staff. Anybody that comes onto our paid staff of the church, we're like, hey, we've got a few key values and one of them is that we'll enter the ring, we call it. Basically means that if you imagine a boxing ring here, we're, we're willing to lift the ropes every now and again and go in there and enter the ring that we're willing to go through the pain, that we're willing to do 12 rounds if we have to and whatever it might be. It means we're willing to go a bit above and beyond, that we're willing to walk the extra mile. And if you think about it in boxing terminology, this lady entered the ring. She said, I'm going 12 rounds. Now she went, in a sense, it's like going 12 rounds with God is never easy. Sometimes it's hard work, sometimes it's wearying, but sometimes God says, come into the ring with me and pray, and commit, and push through. I want to see you wrestle with me. I want to see you commit this thing in your life that's going on to me. You know, that sort of thing, it sounds cool on paper. We love writing that in our notes. Yeah, persevere in prayer. I I don't know, what does it feel like after two days, or three days, or some days? It's probably tiring. At the end of 12 rounds, it's probably wearying. It's blood and it's sweat and it's tears. It's really laying it on the line and saying, God, I'm serious about this. And by the way, we see this in scripture quite often. Jacob, what does he do? He wrestles with God all night. See this picture and what happens in the morning? He wakes up, God gives him a new name. He's got a vision for the future. He's got a new idea about where he's gonna go. He's got a hope that it came out of vision, out out of prayer, just another one, Cornelius, it says, was a, a God-fearing man that prayed regularly. And we know Cornelius got a vision from God, that God spoke to him out of that. Second Chronicles 16, 9, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range around the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully, underlined, fully, fully committed to him. And my final thought, simple message here this morning we've got to pray we've got to pray we've got to pray is the message pray hard but the final thing is we've got to pray desperate it's really another way of saying pray hard I think but how desperate are you for the miracle are you desperate enough to pray through the night how many times are you willing to get on your knees how long will you knock on the door if you aren't desperate you won't take desperate measures which goes back to the weeping by the way It goes back to why we need to have some emotion sometimes, why we need to express these things. You know, I think in Scripture we see this, God loves those that are desperate, that that do something, that that show God who, that they're keen for Him. Think about Zacchaeus. I wish I'd brought the picture. I've got a picture of a sycamore tree in Jericho. 
where Zacchaeus was. And the guide sort of said, that might be the tree. I don't think it was 2,000 years later. But it doesn't really matter. If it's not that tree, it'll be another tree. But of all the crowds that followed Jesus that day, who did Jesus see? He saw the guy that was desperate, right? Saw the guy that climbed a tree. So I've got to know more about him. And, And Jesus said, that's the guy that I want to spend some time with. So he's the one that goes beyond. You think about the lady who crashed the party. She crashes the party. I think she was a prostitute. And she pulls out the expensive perfume, a year's wages. You want to see a a desperate measure to get the attention of God? That's it. She's desperate. Sometimes we've got to be desperate with God in our prayers. We've got to express to Him where we're at. I remember one time in youth ministry, we were having a hard time. And it was we were pushing hard and it wasn't going well. And I don't know exactly. I think our numbers weren't good and a few kids were leaving. And I remember going home one Friday night and Jess was uh, in, in bed and it was late at night. And I remember weeping before God. And, and at that time, we'd been preaching about how the cloud, Kate was talking about the cloud this morning. This was a good cloud, how the cloud would fall. And when the cloud was with them, they would know that they, they were the God was with them. And when the cloud lifted, they would follow the cloud. And that night I was like, God, where are you? You're not here. There's nothing happening. It's not right. Am I following you? Am I getting it right? Am I doing it right? And I remember just beginning to weep. It was maybe midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And then in desperation, I prayed. Now, I don't know that God necessarily wanted me to be in that sort of desperation. But at least I prayed. At least I took it to Him. At least that passion welled up in my heart and I remember that night I just I just prayed and I prayed and I just went to bed and I didn't do anything more about it and I get up the next morning and I've never seen anything like it before or since it was the middle of summer and I got up the next morning and I opened my door and there was a cloud all around our house and our suburb and had landed on the city of Ipswich and of course what do I hear I hear like a voice from God in my spirit say, Carl, you see, I'm with you. I've never seen a summer cloud before fall down on the city. And I feel like God say, Carl, I'm there. I'm for you. And then my heart gets re-envisioned. I'm, I'm excited about the future. My God, you are with me. You are here. You're for me. I've got a vision. I've got a heart. I'm doing the right thing. But the second thing I realized that day is that it came out of a desperate prayer to God. And sometimes that's what it takes, praying hard and praying desperate. And the things that you've got going on in your life, what is it in your life that needs to be restored? As you look at your life, what needs to be sorted out? What walls need to go up again? Keep going. Keep praying about it. Keep calling out to God. See, God is a God that restores. God is a God that repairs, that brings back things that you thought were lost, that were gone. But be listening to Him. God, what is your vision for my life? Where do you want me to go? How are you going to move me? You know, I don't know how much of all of Nehemiah's plan he had in his heart before he got down and prayed. I, I, I even wonder if he had any. But Nehemiah came out of those some days with a heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That was ridiculous. It was crazy. But he had a vision that came out of that moment, those days of prayer. 
And I just want to say to us here today, what is it that God can place in your heart as you pray, as you begin to push into Him, as you pray hard, as you pray desperate prayers? What does God want to rebuild over these next couple of weeks to challenge you? Read through Nehemiah. Let it get in your spirit. And, you know, every time you read about the walls, I want you to think about that situation that you're going through, your children, your spouse, your financial situation, whatever it is. God, I want you to rebuild that thing. Put something in my heart. So ask those tough questions. Don't just fly through life without asking those questions. Weep over it if you need to. Go to prayer. Pray hard and pray desperate. Next week, we're going to, it's exciting next week because we really land on where Nehemiah goes from here. How does he begin to pray? What does actual prayer look like? What does a prayer of vision look like? And we start to see that God places something in his heart. And, and I think there's a way that he prayed which unlocked things in those months and years that followed for him in his life. We'll hit that next week. Can we just do something? Can we stand together and we'll pray? Heavenly Father, I pray for people here today. I pray, Lord, on, on, on their behalf and on my behalf, God, for the things in our own life, God, that we are struggling with, God, for the things in our life where we look at and say those walls are down, the city's in disrepair. Father God, I pray that you begin to place that burden deep within their heart. Lord, they express it to you, God. But Lord, give us the grace, God, to come to you Lord, in prayer, give us the grace, God, to knock and keep on knocking. Father God, to pray and keep on praying. God, we thank you for your spiritual weapons that you've given us, for tools that you've given us, God. Lord, that we don't fight these battles on our own, but we fight them with the strength of the living God on our side. Lord, every single person here has got things right now that are going on in their mind, that are struggles in their life. God, you can restore those walls, God. Lord, I pray that you plant that seed in our heart, God. You are the restoring God. You are the God that brings hope and grace and justice, God, to situations, God, that can lift us up out of the miry clay. But Lord, don't let us run ahead. Father God, let us call out to you, God. Let us commit to praying, God, and fasting and saying, God, speak to me. God, bring a breakthrough in the spiritual realm. Do what I cannot do, God. Put a vision in my heart that is from you. And God, let me follow your plans, God. Not my plans, but your plans, God. And Father, while we're here, we pray for this church, God. Lord, let us be a church where they say, the Lord built that house. The Lord built that house. It wasn't by men or by women or by some clever idea, but God built that house. And we can sense Him and we know He's there and He's leading and He's guiding, God. Give us direction, Father God, that blows us away, we pray. In that mighty name of Jesus, we pray for your vision on our lives. In Jesus' name.